Perfect. And a clap for Sarah. Clap for Sarah. You know she loves it. Make your Sarahs come true. <laughs> mm, I'm loving Sarah. <laughs> Flows off the tongue. Maybe she's born of it, or maybe it's Sarah. Mm. <laughs> What's another? I can't think of another slogan right now. <laughs> Burger King, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. Burger Sarah. Burger Sarah. Burger Sarah. Burger Sarah. Burger Sarah. <laughs> That's quite good, actually. Jen Blundell, and with me, as always, is Paul Salt. Say hello, Paul Salt. Hello, everyone. It's me, Hooray. And this is, of course, a Screen Mayhem podcast. I got it right this time. You did. <laughs> I did. Look at me go. I'm a professional. You sure are. <laughs> so, Paul Salt. Hi. Films. Films. What are you going to do about them? Oh, okay. Oh, God, this is such a broad essay title. <laughs> Don't include too much. No one's told you, but this is, I'm setting the final essay for your masters. Oh no! And this is it with <laughs> zero it. preparation. Films. Yeah. Go on. Go on. <laughs> what, Do it. What do you think, eh? <laughs> I think they're good. Sometimes. Ooh, ooh, that's good. That's Intriguing. that's a distinction. Intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes makes it a distinction. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start this big mad fest. Uh, with the latest episode of Marvel, uh, the increasingly uncinematic universe, it's Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, and mm. I'd appreciate it if you could find out the tagline for Wakanda Forever and find a way to put Sarah into it, please. Yeah, I can do that. Uh... <laughs> she can do it, folks. Don't doubt her. Wait, wait. This is, this is her. Worth it. This is her podcast. Is this? Should I just go by what IMDb throws up as tagline okay, for? T- there's four taglines, okay. apparently, according to IMDb. Okay. The first one, if, I'm just going to sub out the word Sarah. First one would just be Sarah. <laughs> What's the first one? Forever. Oh, okay. I think... For Sarah. Second, second one would be... Uh, yeah, for Sarah, one word. Second one would be, I guess, Sarah forever. <laughs> Sarah or forever. Wakanda for Sarah. <laughs> like that. So wait, the uh, tagline to Black Panther Wakanda Forever is Wakanda Forever. Exclamation mark. I don't want to accuse um, Marvel of running out of ideas, but... Uh, number three, uh, Long Live Sarah. Of course. Mm-hmm. And Long number Sarah. four, For Honour, For Legacy, For Sarah. <laughs> quite like for, that one. For Honour, For Legacy. For Legacy. For Sarah. For Sarah. Good. Sarah. Hurrah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> K Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> K Sarah, Sarah. Well, K Sarah. Well, Sarah. you may ask what happened in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, what films? <laughs> this is the follow-up to the 2018 smash hit I've written. Great, uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther, and as such, it has some difficulties to deal with. We should say, mm-hmm. uh, mainly the fact that, of course, the charismatic and iconic star of that film, Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman, tragically died in 2020. Yeah. Um, always a difficult thing to handle sensitively in film. Marvel have decided that Boseman's character, King T'Challa, should die off screen in the film's intro and then have that sort of spark off the events of the film. So 
Okay. The, film, the film concerns T'Challa's sister, Shuri, played by Letitia Wright, who is struggling with her grief and the burden of acting as one of the nation's protectors, that nation being the incredibly advanced African uh, country of Wakanda. I've written this as if there's someone listening who maybe has never seen one of these Marvel films and wonders what they're all about. This is a maybe f- they missed. Maybe they missed Black Panther. <laughs> this isn't the worst place to start. Although, as um, the rapidly eponymous uh, Sarah once said, um, it would be pretty wild if, like, 20 years from now, people didn't know that Chadwick Boseman died between movies and is just watching the Black Panthers as something to watch. And after watching the first one, decides to load up the second one, only to find that the main character just dies <laughs> in the first few minutes off screen. Yeah. That's going to make for a pretty wild yeah. um, jump. But never, <laughs> never underestimate how little people can know. That's true. So uh... <laughs> it'll be it'll be a really interesting bit of trivia in like 30 mm. years. Like, do you know why they did that? No, mm. come on. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Um, Wakanda was exposed in the last movie and revealed to have a mm-hmm. near infinite supply of the incredibly powerful resource vibranium, causing tension between Wakanda and the rest of the world in a hilarious scene where three people stand in for France, America, and yes. the UK. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Is it moral, moral for them to stockpile this power? Can they sh- safely share their gifts with the rest of the world? And then a terrible fishman attacks! Ah! Uh-huh. Demanding that the Wakandans find a scientist who is responsible for drawing unwanted attention to his underwater fish nation. So, as you can tell, there's a lot going on here. There's several different stories. Three, really. One mm. is that of necessity. By the end of this movie, they need to find the new Black Panther. And Shuri makes sense on paper, as she is T'Challa's sister. But it is frankly a shame that they didn't go with Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia, who is mm. second build here and shows up about halfway through the through the film. So leaving aside the fact that Letitia Wright has something of a stained reputation due to her anti-vax state, uh, sentiments, her character just worked very well as a side character and comedic relief in the last movie. And taking on the burden of main character duties sees her become a fairly bland and... Oh, it sees her struggling to capture the magic of Bozeman's performance. And I think Nyong'o could have fared mm. a lot better. I think she's a stronger performer. Um, so that's one side of the movie. And we're dealing with grief. And the grief side of it does work well. And it does feel like a very moving tribute to Chadwick Boseman And a respectful way of carrying on this franchise. Because the franchise, as we'll come to in a moment, is a... V- you know, it's a big thing, and it's it, it is a good thing that this particular when I say franchise, I mean the Black Panther franchise. Marvel is a whole other conversation, mm. but it's good that Black Panther is continuing. Um, yeah. So that's one side of it, and there are some very moving sequences dedicated to memory and grief and ritual and moving on. Mm. Then you have the Fishman story, and okay. you wonder if this was the original plan for Black Panther two, and it's a bit too similar to the first movie, really, and uneasily reminiscent of DC's Aquaman, which is not something anyone should be trying to do. Oh, I assumed there was going to be some tie-in, yeah. But I forgot. <laughs> like, it's another thing. I assume but... that was intentional, but well, uh, I, think... I guess you've run out of places to, Look, put, to put worlds now, right? There has Space. got to be. The Fishman is Namor the Submariner, who is a character from the comics, and there's got okay. to be some production history there. These two are copying oh, each other so much. Namor oh, has to have a relationship with Aquaman in some way. Yeah. So... Yeah, the issue is, and, and the issue with that storyline is the Marvel's new villain problem. Uh, mm. So those who remember the early Marvel, phase one and two, the villain problem was that they were all really boring. That was the main issue yeah. with them. They were just really yeah. boring. And then as of kind of the original Black Panther, I think, the new villain problem is that they keep having villains who have legitimate concerns and, you know, that play into real world issues. And then they just kind of forget to resolve or address those. And they just have them 
be the bad guys because they're willing to kill for their force, for their um, uh, for their argument, which our heroes mm. do as as well. But it's okay because it's usually self defense. Mm. I mean, the fishman is literally defending his nation, but no, okay, he's being too mean about it. Fine, okay, he's the bad guy. Um, it's not okay when it's America you're acting against. <laughs> so some iffy yeah. stuff there, and some stuff that feels a little. I don't know. Sometimes, like, it feels like these big movies kind of name drop big world, real world things like colonialism and, you know, mm. appropriation and resource harvesting, harvesting, without having really done the work of thinking about what they want to say or where they want to go with this. So that's the second movie, which is not as good. Thirdly, you have the MCU movie, and you better believe that there's work to be done aside from guaranteeing the future of the Black um, Black Panther sub franchise. We also have a go at introducing the new Iron Man, Dominique uh, Fawn's oh, Riri okay. Williams, um, who's a fairly familiar sort of precocious kid, genius archetype, um, who's going to, you know, don mech suits going into the future. And we have the further misadventures of Valentina Fontaine, the head of the CIA, which I assume is going somewhere. <laughs> Essentially, Julia Louise Dreyfus just keeps showing up to act villainous. Uh, vaguely and kind of mean so there's a lot of time spent on that with Martin Freeman reprising his role as the guy who's drawing too much attention so (laughs) there's a clash, there's an awkward clash between the house style of Marvel and the style of the auteur director that they have recruited because Ryan Coogler is back and he's got a new DP, Autumn Durald uh, Arkapur and Mm. sometimes they achieve some really special results There there are sequences here I can point to and say that's exciting that's cinematic you know, that's a really interesting thing I don't think I've seen before. And then there are so many moments that are just perfunctory and uninteresting and quintessentially Marvel now. And it just feels like an unruly and overactive B unit uh, from the central directing unit of the MCU. And I do hate it. And I hate that, that those sequences are feeling indicative of what modern mainstream blockbuster mm. cinema is becoming. But there is something else to be talked about here. Um, and it does need to be talked about. You know, I can you know, Twitter people online saying things to the effect of, oh, what, so it's got black people in it, so I'm not allowed to dislike it. And that's not what anyone's saying. But about half an hour into the movie, there's a scene where Letitia Wright and Denai Guerrero, uh, sorry, Guerrero, I think, um, are occupying the entirety of the massive IMAX screen I saw this in. Wright is wearing a fashionable hoodie. In fact, I'm going to send you in the chat a picture of the two of them, because I did, fortunately, this particular image was isolated. So this is the image that like fills this giant screen and the biggest screen. And I have to download know. this, Paul. Oh, I have God. to download she it. She has to download this glossy JPEG. <laughs> Let me save it somewhere. I'll I can delete it. Fast. It's going to <laughs> it's going on my desktop. Oh yeah, it's nasty. I forgot to mention it's nasty. So please do. Delete oh that. no. Yeah. Oh. Let me see. Ooh, okay. Yeah, like that's them. So it's it's Letitia Wright wearing this fashionable kind of hoodie that's in purple, whilst um, Guerrero is wearing a smart business blazer over tribal dress. Both parts of mm. Rufy Carter's amazing costume design throughout the movie. Mm. And it's their hair, it's their tattoos, it's their accents, and yes, it's their skin. This is a movie that is almost exclusively black talent, behind mm. and in front of the camera. And that is still important. Because parts yeah. of this look and sound like nothing else you're going to see in a multiplex this year. Even sometimes evoking the singular imagination of Neptune Frost, which also finally got a release this uh, this month. Mm. I reviewed it two years ago, so go and have a look at that. <laughs> but this is Afrofuturism with a budget, and it's awesome for that. And I want more movies like this to get the budget that this yeah. got. But unfortunately, unless they're willing to play ball with the mouse house, that's not too likely. But mm. hey, let's see what Googler does with his Marvel money. Um, yeah, yeah. 
And and Kugler, Arkapur, the, the cinematographer, and Carter, the costume designer, are not the only people pulling their creative weight here. Uh, Nyong'o and uh, Guerrera are fantastic. Um, they're really good. Winston Duke still steals every scene he's in as this giant gorilla man. He's just... Ugh, love him. <laughs> Angela Bassett is just monolithic in her authority and presence. And Ludwig Göransson's soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal again. So, on one hand, I really do kind of want Marvel at this stage to get a punch in the face so that they can start <laughs> scaling things back. But on the mm. other hand, this isn't a bad movie and does represent the hard work of some very talented people that I would like to see succeed. Yeah. <sighs> and I want others to expand on this. And I know that terrible movie execs are just looking for the chance for this great woke diversity project to fail so they can start scaling back and getting back to what they want to see. Mm. You know, in some ways it was actually easier in the noughties when the biggest movies tended to also be the worst. Like, <laughs> the Transformers and Roland Emmerich movies and Gore Verbinski's, they sucked and you could just hate mm. them and they made all the money and it was easy. Mm. But Marvel movies are quite demonstrably not good for cinema, and Disney in general is not great for cinema because of mm. how much space they take up and how bad they are with exhibitors. But they keep tending to make movies that are at the very least good, sometimes yeah. exceptional, blockbuster entertainment, and that just mm. complicates things considerably, and I hate it. Uh, I guess I'll just... I hate it too, Paul. I guess I'll just inv- invest all my energy into hoping that the next Marvel movie tanks. What is that, Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah. Yeah, I feel good about that. Let's hope for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's three, yeah. it's three stars. It's a perfectly, perfectly uh, good okay. movie. But yeah. I don't know. Politically, if you do get an opportunity to see Neptune Frost instead, you probably should. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Neptune Frost, I remember seeing in the BFI program. It looks mm. great. Yeah, it was a few years ago. You would have seen mm. that in the, in the program. It's, it's, it's strange. It's only just getting a release. Mm. I should re-up my review. Yeah. <sighs> I must yeah. Have, I've got to tell you really good segues between movies this year this uh this month i don't know why mm. but oh great they all kind of follow a thread so speaking of rubbish blockbusters that are easy to hate though the other big superhero movie of the month was black adam Ugh. <gasps> ah oh no oh oh yep it's the rival studio it's the dceu which uh-huh. limps on in its odd little way occasionally <laughs> producing something very singular and surprisingly good and the rest of the time black adam <laughs> Might okay. change now that James Gunn is in charge. So Dwayne the Rock Johnson mm. is an. Oh, ancient... I've, I've heard of him. You've heard of the Rock Johnson. I have heard of the Rock Johnson. He is an ancient man who is bestowed with incredible powers in his own time in order to fight against an evil king, and he does. But then he becomes trapped and is freed thousands of years later in the present day, where he causes some chaos, resulting in a troop of Z-grade heroes coming in and trying to apprehend him in a series of tedious, weightless, witless confrontations that gradually grow in decibels, but not wit. So Black Adam's the bad guy? (sighs) Ah, God. (laughs) (laughs) The answer to that question the movie would like you to believe is yes. Right. It this... Okay, I'll come to that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's just, that's, that's a good question to ask. This is the epitome of what I hate about modern blockbusters. It's bland, it's soulless, it's hideous to look at, and it's, it is surprisingly and insultingly poorly made. Mm. This may sound naive, but shouldn't a movie that's really expensive have at least competent standards like uh, uh, of production? Just basic staging and editing? This movie, mm. the contempt that this movie and its makers have for their imagined, undemanding crowds is palpable. The sheer lack of effort they have put in. 
that a major studio thought that this was enough in script and style and substance. It's just a void. It is a lack. Wow. It is simply just the lack of something. And I suppose I should engage with the actual film beyond hyperbole, because the, yes, the USB of Black Adam is that he's not a superhero. He's the bad guy. Oh, we've never seen that before. <laughs> okay. And just like Venom and Morbius uh-huh. and Hancock and the Punisher and Joker and even the Birds of Prey, which I did uh-huh. like, he never actually does anything villainous. He says he's a bad guy, but he only kills in self-defense. And it's always either a joke or just utterly weightless because he just kills like random nobodies. You know, mm. faceless soldiers who are trying to kill him anyway, and it's usually only to save good guys. So it just doesn't matter. It's not there. <laughs> you know, there's, there's there's no work done, and it doesn't mean anything that he is supposedly a villain. Mm. Uh, and okay, it, I see. Yeah. I see. It's just a name only, and it's so annoying because you think of real anti-hero movies and just think, that could be an interesting... Like, can you make the taxi driver? I know some people thought Joker was that, but it's not. That's similarly <laughs> toothless. It's just, mm. and, and Katie asked me if it's the case that Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, is it the mm. case that he, even he couldn't save the film? And I was like, even he. The thing is, mm. I don't think I like the Rock Johnson very much. He's <gasps> he seems like a great guy in real life, but he's not very charismatic on screen. Wow. He has well, one. Well. He has one mode, and doesn't even bother to do that here. And physically, I haven't been really excited by him since Welcome to the Jungle. Maybe a bit in one of the Fast and Furious movies when he flexes and the the plaster comes off. That was good. (laughs) I like that. We all like that. I haven't seen it and I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) There was a self-awareness to uh, Jumanji that was quite fun. But otherwise, Mm. I don't know. He's certainly not enough to redeem a film. He's proven that time and again. And yeah, he's no... Like when he was in Jungle Cruise, all I could think was, you're not Brendan Fraser. I stand by that. You're not Brendan Fraser. Oh, that's tricky there. Yeah. That's that's a high standard. I know, but like, he's exactly what you, what shouldn't we have a high standard? This is like a huge Mm. tentpole movie. Shouldn't we be going after people who can really get that, you know, motor running? And it's just, but I guess he's considered a big draw. So he is, but he is, isn't he one of the most highly paid actors in the world (sighs) now? Yeah, I think he is. Mm. And I don't quite get it. I've got to say, I've, you know, I like a movie star. I enjoy a mm. great big charismatic presence that makes you go a little weak at the knees. And for me, it's just not Dwayne. It is in real life. When I see behind the scenes footage of him, yeah, he, yeah. he seems great and he seems really fun and personable and friendly, but it never translates to, it translates to screen to me. Either he's playing a sort of parody of himself, like in Baywatch, which is just a little bit cringy, or he's just playing a plank, like in Black Adam. Mm. I haven't seen him in much, actually, except for the only thing mm. I can think of is Moana, and he's just a voice in Oh, that, well, he's so great in Moana. Really count. He is great in Moana. Yeah, he's perfect. Uh, but, you know, it's great very casting. different doing a doing a, a, a voice. Yes, it is. Um, but, uh, yeah. No, all enough. of these blockbusters for him in it, Rampage, um, Skyscraper, San Andreas, they're just, none of them uh, make use of what he can do. And it's, I don't know. But you know what, beyond that, there's a real dig at me personally in this movie. They have the oh, or- no. they, they they call me out. They have the audacity to invoke Sergio Leone. The showdown from the good, the bad, and the ugly is awkwardly shown on a TV that Black Adam takes time out of his monologue to notice. And then they stage a standoff shortly after in the same way. Not even a big important one. It's just like a cute throwaway moment. And it's just oh oh. If there is any filmmaker who best represents the antithesis 
of this poorly staged, poorly planned, probably outsourced, gutless, toothless, heartless approach to action, it is Sergio Leone. And if Leone was in any way an inspiration to the director of this, then that is truly tragic. Because not only does this fail to recreate the wonder and the thrill of Leone's filmmaking, but it's not even the suggestion of homage here. So it suggests that this horrible machine that is the blockbuster movie, that no matter what you put in, you will only get garbage out of this shockingly awful process. Wow. Ugh. I was so angry at that. I was so angry (laughs) when it was like, hey... Remember well-paced, interesting, like evocatively edited, well-scored action? Well, here, here, we could do that too. Blah. <laughs> smash, smash, like playing with dolls where you just whack them against each playing other. Playing with dolls and then paying someone too much and working them. No, sorry, paying someone not enough and overworking them to put CGI clouds around them. It's, oh. Yay. There was one redeeming feature. Uh-huh. And it was Pierce Brosnan, <gasps> who plays an elderly gentleman adventurer. Okay. He's like an older superhero who's still, who's, you know, one day away from retirement, but he shows up in order to get down Black Adam, and that's good stuff. And I do like the ongoing habit of introducing an eccentric bunch of weirdos with backstories Mm. without setting them up first. It's very Suicide Squad and quite Rick and Morty, and it's very comic book. Like, oh, this guy has a helmet that if he puts it on, it possesses him and makes him see the future. Oh, okay. We'll just say that, and then that will be the case, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I like it too. Because, you know, you don't need to know that every yeah. single one of them, their hopes and dreams oh, no, exactly. and where they came from. It's just, I just assume they all just popped into being and now they get to be fun on screen. And that's yeah. what I want. And that's good. And I like the idea yeah. of just referencing an absolutely bonkers. In retrospect, the one good part, we all made fun of the original Suicide Squad for having a bit where a woman just comes on and some guy's just like, oh, that's Katana, whatever her name is. She has a sword that has the spirit of her dead husband in it. I wouldn't want to be killed by her. And it's a dumb, bad line. But also, it's kind of, if you played it for, like, sincerely, like, yeah. for a laugh, um, yeah, knowingly, that would be great of just, yeah. yeah it would. And every so often she's just fighting and suddenly her dead husband speaks to her from the sword or something. <laughs> that would be yeah, great. Yeah, it's true. If you play it, look, if you know what you're doing, you can make anything. <laughs> hilarious you can and like hey, really cheesy stuff but <laughs> you can do and i i, I like that there's just lazy I don't know. there's a bit yeah. of that in this there's like a new york superhero who's okay whose dad is someone i can't remember who it is but he uh, there's an actor in there and he can like make himself really big and he's got his dad's costume from the 70s and it's like mm. uh, that's kind of good but i'm i that that's it i'm done everything else is terrible and boring and perfunctory and then this whole movie is a joyless slog and i'm giving it one star Okay, well, <clears throat> fair enough. Hated that. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Got really angry, really wanted to leave the cinema, actually. That's, yeah, no. I, I didn't wow. want to give it the satisfaction of being the first movie I've walked out on, but I really did want to leave Black Adam. Wowee. Not since Mortal Engines have I been this frustratingly angry and bored. Wow. Oh, and now that's po- an honor. And I stayed for the post credit sequence. <laughs> oh, dear. And the post-credit oh, sequence was very annoying. <laughs> Setting up a whole new world. Well, yeah, certainly. New franchise. Certainly promising that there's going to be more. Yay! God. <sighs> <laughs> Take a moment, breathe, breathe. I will. You, you can know, do this, Paul. Was, Black Adam was also very, very vaguely about empiricism and the idea of a folk hero rising up to take back freedom from the oppressors, but it. It lacks the nerve to really tell that story and rather hilariously positions 
an Australian man as the imperial oppressor <laughs> instead <Okay>. of obviously <laughs> yeah. America, which it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what la- doesn't lack that nerve though. The woman king. The woman king. The woman king. <laughs> so I saw this the same day as Black Adam. And thank ah. thank God for it. <laughs> I okay. needed I needed this to restore my faith in cinema. It is 1823, and in West Africa, a powerful group of all-female warriors are led by the fearsome General Naniska, mm. played by Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. And they strike at their enemies, the Oyo Empire, who are enslaving African, um, African villages and selling them to Europeans. Naniska is preparing her war band for all-out war with the Oyo to free her people, whilst also navigating the politics of the Kingdom of Dahoney, where they are based, and the will of her king, Gizu, played by John Boyega. In his first big post-Star Wars thing, I think. Mm. <laughs> so, the director is Gina Prince Blythe... Uh, I knew I was going to do that. It's Blythewood, <laughs> but I knew I was going to say Blythewood. Uh, yeah, that's a tricky one. I would yeah. assume Blythe. I would assume Blythe. Blythe is good. But it's Blythewood, mm. uh, who also Blythewood. made The Old Guard in 2020, the Charlize mm. Theron experience, and did apparently <laughs> get the notes about action direction, because this is good. Cool. <laughs> this is a historical epic and comfortably fits into that mold. We have the large-scale conflict with real stakes. We have the large cast with individual motives and loyalties and goals. We have a fantastic, well-choreographed action set pieces that are exciting. And at the core of the film, we have a very accessible and fun training narrative because uh, Tusu Imbedu uh, plays Nawe. A troublemaking new recruit who has to learn the ways of the Agoji, which is what this all-female warrior troop is called. Mm. So she has to learn their ways and train up, and there's lots of like montages of her getting a, becoming a better fighter and learning to trust the group and overcoming the character flaws that she has. So it's a familiar structure and very accessible, but oh, it just features a n- new characters that you haven't seen before and an exciting new world that feels lived in and compelling. Mm. <coughs> The way- <coughs> coughing break coughing break <coughs> we are all very sickly here in the uk <laughs> i live in the uk of course i'm sickly <laughs> isn't i it need just- a summer on the algarve to fix me up isn't it just a little bit sexy <laughs> 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 rather <laughs> oh yes mm-hmm. <laughs> she produced so little blood <laughs> so- <laughs> now that's a woman full of phlegm <laughs> Just how I like them. <laughs> I must find someone more phlegmatic. <laughs> That's a woman who knows how to handle her phlegm. <laughs> the strong lungs will do her well during childbirth. <laughs> oh dear, we've talked about phlegm. My mum's not going to listen to this bit. Oh, that's Sorry, mum. <laughs> Sorry. Let's talk about Viola Davis instead because she's yeah. amazing in the lead. She's been, she's been stuck playing the rarely well-written Amanda Waller in the DC movies where she usually just has to show up, not smile, deliver exposition and leave. <laughs> Elsewhere, she's been playing better stoic badasses in movies like Widows and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But... Oh, here, here she gets to be this really hard and cool person, but with this deep vulnerability uh, that makes her very compelling. She's a very interesting and exciting character that has these weaknesses and regrets that are fun mm. to see play out. And, you know, she's just oh, very magnetic. You just kind of mm. get drawn to her. And she's supported by my new favorite person ever, Lashana Lynch, who's mm-hmm. recently been in uh, No Time to Die and Matilda. And she plays yes. the tough but fair mentor. Mm. Uh, then we've got yeah Tuso Mbedu as the savage but naive young recruit John Boyega who exudes authority as the king of Dahoney but also this kind of playboy style 
I don't know, lasciviousness. Like, he's a, mm. he's a bit of a glutton, and there's something kind of pleasing to that. And stealing most of the scenes that she appeared in, Sheila Atin, uh, as the mm-hmm. loyal but troubled second-in-command Izogi. So it's a very, very strong cast. A brief word on history. <coughs> oh, sorry, I'm going to need a lozenge. <coughs> <laughs> That's fine. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boysy. Lozenge up your film critic. <laughs> Gotta lozenge him up good. Keep your film critic If you lozenged. start your recording without a lozenge in your film critic, that's on you. That's on you. What a foolish thing to do. It's becoming a bit, it's becoming a bit like um, music hall, isn't it? Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, you start your film critic. Can't believe these are suppositories. <laughs> okay. Let's talk history. So there really was an all-female army unit in the Kingdom of Dahomey, but they didn't fight the slave trade, they participated in it. They Mm -hmm. enslaved their enemies, selling them to the English and the Portuguese. Funnily enough, uh, the emphasis is very much on Portuguese in this film. I don't know why that would be. Mm, Weird. Uh, Slavery only actually ended in the region when the British army put an end to it. (coughs) Because, you know, eventually they decided that this terrible thing they started and (laughs) propagated... And profited from greatly. Profited from, <laughs> did, organised, supported yeah. wholeheartedly. Well, I should probably yeah. stop that now. Spread around the whole world. Yeah, yeah. Redefine the whole world. Yeah, we should. We yeah. should probably stop yeah, doing we, that. We should. We should definitely teach them to stop doing it. Yes. Right. That'll make us feel better. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We release you from this terrible mm. burden that you've brought upon yourself. You probably. may Don't kiss my it. hand. <laughs> but when you tell a historical story, you are always recontextualizing it in the context of the time in which you are telling it. And the story mm. you shall tell shall always be more indicative of the time in which you are telling that story than the time you're actually, you know, relaying. With that in mind, what value does the historical narrative have now? You know, do we want to make a movie about Africans engaging in slavery only to be stopped by the benevolence of the Europeans who finally <laughs> decide that it's wrong? What value is there in that? Mm. Is it not better and more appropriate for the time to tell an empowering story of an oppressed people not waiting to be given freedom, but rather taking it for themselves by force? And is that not a better and more, in many ways, more truthful story because it speaks to the experiences that people who are fighting for their rights have had? Mm. And yes, there's a debate to be had there. And, you know, but as a work of fiction, this may not be factful, but it is truthful to the spirit of black power that exists today. And this is a powerful evocation of that. So... Mm. You know, it's tricky. It's tricky because everybody yeah. involved is dead. There's no <laughs> yeah. survivors of the people to be, you know, offended by yeah. this. But, you know, in, in some ways, does it still represent ongoing issues? You Maybe. know, the extent there to which of... modern slavery is perpetrated by members of those communities mm-hmm. who sell their own yeah. people into slavery, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a discussion to be had, but taken as a fable, it yeah. is very powerful. Yeah. And sometimes just provoking a discussion is a good start yeah and it raises awareness you know mm. there'll be know-it-alls on the internet going actually uh they and that will be good mm. because that'll encourage you know that'll mm. encourage the conversation about how force is rarely the answer and how generally speaking might is right is flawed to, to the point where might almost always leads to the exploitation of people as it mm. actually did but as a simple fable and a metaphor mm-hmm. it's very good so i'm giving it five cool. i'm giving it five star <gasps> Wow. Yeah. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I really well loved it. I really well done, loved Phil. it. I can't wait to see great. it. Great. It's just a great... I, I love an epic. 
you know, I, I've, mm. I've always loved an epic, and I, I'm very happy to, to, to see this. Mm. Ah, and it's just, you know, it's good to see stories from perspectives you've not seen much before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of, bros! Bros. Bros. This is a romantic nice. comedy about two men? <gasps> What's going on? Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> but, Paul, men can't love men. <sighs> I've got some bad news for you, Jen. <laughs> you personally, Jen. <laughs> this is Billy Eitner's baby. <laughs> the concept of gayness. This is a new thing. Okay. He's... <laughs> he's invented He's it. invented it. He's very happy. Hot new trend. To be honest, being gay. it looks pretty exciting. I- I'm looking forward to <laughs> giving it a try. Yeah. So he writes, produces, and acts in this romantic comedy in which his character, Bobby, very subtle Billy, uh, meets a gorgeous <laughs> but very macho guy called uh, Aaron. And uh, what's this in the script? He gets to make out with him a lot, a whole bunch. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, if it says so in the script, then yeah, I guess. <laughs> guess we'll guess we'll we'll just do that. Yeah, it's a hard work being a director and <laughs> being a writer, producer, and actor in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone just says how great I am and how good I look, and then we kiss lots. Uh, the very macho guy is played by Luke McFarlane. So. Okay. Yeah, venturing outside of his comfort zone and flirting with the dreaded idea of a serious relationship is the sort of order of the day for um for mm. Billy. You know, he's dating a he's dating outside of his comfort zone, a gorgeous man. <laughs> Meanwhile, he is trying to raise funds for the first ever LGBTQ uh, plus museum, which includes fundraising and butting heads with other members of the curation board in quite humorous sequences. So <laughs> one of the film's big points is against the idea that love is love. You know, you see that okay. said by certain people, mm. you know, trying to argue for inclusion. You know, love is love. Who cares? They dismiss that as a way of straight people trying to force gay people to conform to their standards of romance and relationships, you know, and the, and to make themselves more comfortable with gay people whilst ignoring their experiences. Whereas, in fact, gay relationships have unique qualities, pose different issues for gay couples. So what are they? Yes. So that's the idea is that gay relationships are different. So what do we have in the way of difference? Well, uh, because they don't want to portray discrimination much, at the very least. Yeah, they they have characters talking yeah. about discrimination, but the idea is to have a movie that is not defined by that, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, um, that's great. Beyond that, the main point that they keep coming back to is this idea of fidelity. So okay. our main character is using dating apps to meet guys for casual sex, and when he first meets Aaron, he has an uh, Aaron has an appointment to go and have sex with a couple at the party. And then at the end of their first date... They just engage casually in sex with other people. And then later on, the actual monogamy talk where they agree to be exclusive is a big moment for them and not a given. Mm. So now look, I'm in no way placed to speak to the authenticity of that. Maybe it's universal. Maybe it's very New York or maybe it's just cliche. I'm not sure. But it does result in some very comedic moments and some very relatable observations that are quite (laughs) fun and interesting to hear. When he talks about having had a one night stand and then feeling the need to go for a walk afterwards that was something that yeah <laughs> that was very good i like that and yeah and yeah but yeah in spite of the film's protestations it is quite obviously heading towards a fairly traditional monogamous relationship throughout that's what we're building to yeah. we can kind of tell that this is about him overcoming his issues with that which some may find frustrating if you were really hoping for a, like an alternate relationship kind of narrative to come out of universal mm. studios but <laughs> <laughs> my go-to for your go-to lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless it, it, it you know it felt natural enough um mm. 
you know, there are things in there about mixed signals. You know, is he interested in me? Is he not? Is he trying to be casual? Is he not? Commitment, family. Mm. How do we, you know, deal with family and toning down your, you know, yourself, how you present yourself. Yeah. But that's actually all fairly conventional. You know, even to me, a guy who's not seen many rom-coms, I can recycognize the idea of you're dating someone who's a bit kooky in for X reason. Mm. And you try and ask them to hold it back whilst they're meeting your parents. Only <laughs> it doesn't quite go that way. Yeah. Only instead of being really clumsy, they're gay and very passionate about <laughs> gay rights. <laughs> you know, it's, we've, we have seen it. And of course, the overall story follows the fairly familiar beats of them coming together and falling apart. So what's different about bros? Well, positioning Billy Eichner's humor. Mm? Oh, sorry. Let's, move, let's remove the word positioning from in there, which comes from an earlier draft of this <laughs> sentence. Well, Fair. Billy Eitner's humor is a big part of the character of the movie. It's very dialogue-driven. It's very screenplay-led as a movie. And there's some really good stuff in there, really good observational humor about gay rights and about gay lifestyle in America that's, that you know, feels very authentic, but mm. has good verisimilitude, we should say. Is verisimilitudinous. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. That's what that's if the word so. that's the word that's the punishment uh you have to you um undertake is using that word to explain something that you don't have the positioning to say is authentic or not. <laughs> Welcome back to the conversation the word positioning. I'm glad we found room for you. Now <laughs> oh, I'm relieved. <laughs> I never like yeah, well, I, was, I never leave I a word behind. Keep me awake all night. <laughs> no word left behind. <laughs> Sometimes it feels so sometimes we're a strong unit here, vowels. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. So sometimes it feels like an acted out stand up routine, but the chemistry between him and McFarlane elevate things quite a bit. Nice. So performances are great amongst the main cast, but what's really delightful are the cameos and the fact that nearly every single background role is cast with lgbtq plus people sweet it's nice to see a world that doesn't need to justify itself or interact constantly mm. with the straight world it's just you know what it is and it's celebratory in that way and i was not prepared for how happy i was going to be to see harvey firestein i did not know that Ooh. that was going to be the best thing he's um the uncle and mrs doubtfire who makes the mask for him um oh, and he's in a de- just... he's in independence day as the guy that jeff goldblum works with uh yes 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 yeah. yes oh my god yes he's he was big in the 90s and when he showed up in this with that iconic voice of his the yes. warmth that okay. flooded over me was a big surprise <laughs> <laughs> wasn't ready for you that. just felt at home peace <laughs> and the humor for apparently the... he's in mulan oh yeah yes yeah, he is just check that yes. out oh, he's got that voice like yeah he, he voices the um yow he plays yow yeah. I'm gonna give him a knuckle sandwich. That sounds like Harvey uh, <laughs> Firestein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was great seeing him and all of the others. And you know, the humor for the most part worked for me and I enjoyed the insight and it managed to address some really big relationship issues while still feeling cozy in a way that makes you want to come back to it. So Wonderful. I, yeah, I'm gonna score it four stars. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And it feels like a kind of movie that you'll certainly watch, you know, around this time of year because it's actually a Christmas movie. <gasps> Oh, fun. Yeah. I feel like all rom-coms kind of are. <laughs> yeah. So- Something intrinsically Christmassy about, <laughs> oh, they're going to fall in love. Yeah, there is. And there's the, uh, having Christmas there is like a ticking clock as well. You know, you're building up to this time of year. Fun. You need to sort of, you know, be in a nice place for it. Nice. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Great. 
But it's weird, though, Good. because it's a Christmas film, but it was released in October. That's not when you release Bros. That's when you release Halloween Ends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, that is when you release Halloween Ends. I mean, I could have segued to any of the movies I had to talk about because they are mostly October movies, but nevertheless. <laughs> Halloween Ends, yes. But this one's, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For a change of pace as well. So... This is the third and final part of the new trilogy of sequels directed by David Gordon Green, mm. um, starting in 2018, all three of which have continued the misadventures of Michael Myers, a psychopathic <laughs> no. killer hell-bent on wreaking havoc on the small town of Haddonfield, mm. Illinois, much to the chagrin of longtime survivor Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, and her granddaughter, Allison, Andy uh, Matichak. But how will this mad tale end? Very nearly by doing something very interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> nearly very interesting. <laughs> nearly That's good. Well, it is interesting. It's I should say yes, interesting, nearly successful. The original mm. third film produced in 1982, the actual third second sequel to the original Halloween, is very famous for having nothing to do with the Halloween saga. Mm. The producers felt that Michael Myers' story had ended in Halloween 2, and so experimented with turning the franchise into an anthology movie with a different story with each movie. So, mm. the original Halloween 3, 1982, was a weird story about masks, Halloween masks, that would kill people. It was, you know, very strange. Mm. And to consult, and to find out how they got on with that, please consult Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. <laughs> okay. And it's tagline, <laughs> sorry everyone. We realise what you spend the money on. (laughs) Oh, God. But what's mad is that Halloween Ends almost goes for something similar. Not in terms of killer masks. Mm. Although, um, (laughs) for most of the movie, we actually follow this guy, Corey, played by Rowan Campbell, a young man who accidentally killed a child one Halloween and is now being bullied and harassed by the entire town, gradually turning him into a new monster in the style of Michael Myers. And Myers is barely in the film. He appears as this sinister, disembodied spectre that dwells beneath the city and appears to Corey and encourages his killing spree. And that's interesting. You know, one thing you have to admit about this sequel franchise is that it has not made the same movie twice at any stage amongst (laughs) it. It's always been very ambitious. And I've admired it for that. It delivers straightforward genre films, but is always trying to do something different and say Mm. something about the nature of Michael Myers and what he represents and what that means to a small community. And in Halloween Kills, which I feel was underrated, he represented death, the embodiment of it. And the community Mm. had to reconcile its fear and anger with the powerlessness over it. You know, it felt like a perfect COVID movie, actually, because Michael Myers was COVID. (laughs) He comes to town and you're not going to be able to beat him by getting the boys together with their shotguns. You know, you're just going to have to knuckle down and endure what it does to you and not give in to fear, which will turn you into animals. That was really surprisingly (laughs) an interesting angle to take Halloween in. And I really like that movie because it ended in that community's repeated failure to do that, to come to terms with the lack of power it had. It was a great middle chapter setting up what needed to be an end that saw the community continue to be ruled by fear and how that fear not only creates the new monster, but requires the new monster to justify itself. And Cory is kind of caught up in it, but also has his own demons. So he's not blameless. He has his own anger and the community is not equipped to respond to him. And all the while we are getting gory deaths and tense sequences and, you know, it's all quite interesting. And then it cops out. Uh, it very okay. hurriedly ends that story, the story it's been telling, and then stitches on the collusion to a different, more generic movie. 
Mm. And that's a shame. And I actually think it weakens the overall film because it bespeaks a lack of conviction that has been affecting the film in general. It's also a little mean-spirited in a way the first sequel definitely wasn't. That was one of the things I liked best about Halloween 2018, is that it was a movie that wanted to show the decency of everyone. All of the kids, even the cliched dirtbag ones that, you know, in other movies you would be hoping to get killed, you know... They had their little moments of humanity before their lives were taken in you know graphic ways. And that was good. It made it scarier because you wanted to relate to these kids and not be one of them. Here, mm. there's just a few too many Stephen King archetypes, you know, the psychotic bullies, the abusive parents, to the point where it really starts to recall the absolutely dreadful Rob Zombie films. Mm. But by and large, this is a very interesting conclusion to this little saga, which is going to be a very interesting thing as a whole now. Um, yeah. And although it doesn't manage to coalesce in the end, it's still got way more ideas uh, than this franchise has really had since 1982. So, Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think three stars. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a mad little thing, right. but I kind of liked it. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. I do appreciate that some people get frustrated when they don't get what they feel they were promised. The product that was described in The Menu. It's The Menu next. <gasps> ah. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting new noise. <laughs> ah. ah! I feel like a ah. teacher where like a kid has like come over like really excited being like, teacher, look, I'm so proud. Look at all these ants I killed and rearranged into your name. Ah. You're like, ah. There was something. Thank you. And they're like, I spelt it in French. And you're like, ah. ah. <laughs> Why did making it French make it worse? <laughs> It's just, you're, no, it's not worse. It's, it's like I, the effort and the, the talent. <laughs> and yet, there's something wrong about this. <laughs> now I'm going to have to explain to you. <laughs> That's what my pun just was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I believe in that. <laughs> so when I heard that this was a film in which Rafe Fiennes was going to play a celebrity chef, I guess I was expecting something more akin to Chef or that dreadful movie Burnt. Mm. Thank you very much, Sarah. I did not expect this tense horror movie thing that has been described as the Squid Games meets MasterChef. Not by me, mind. I don't don't get either of those references. (laughs) Never heard of it. It's director Mike Mylod, who has had a very interesting career that spans British comedies like Shooting Stars, The Far Show, The Royal Family, and Shameless. Wow. American TV shows like Entourage, Succession, and Shameless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and then movies like Ali G in the house and the rom-com what's your number where i can't okay. i think anna faris decides she slept with too many men and so she needs to um try and start a relationship with one of the previous ones so as not to increase uh, her number uh yes yeah. yeah 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 well done yep and it's got chris evans in it oh yeah before just mm. before he got big i think it was like mm, just that before would make captain sense. America. it's 2011 yep same year as captain america uh, they couldn't afford him after this point. You might be able to now. <laughs> depends. <laughs> it depends how correct, how correct Quentin Tarantino is about the nature of movie stardom these days. He came out and said that um, the Marvel people aren't movie stars. You know, Chris Evans isn't a movie star. Captain America is the movie star. It's like, oh, interesting. Hmm, okay. Maybe. All maybe. Right, if you think. I don't know. I still feel like Chris Evans is a draw. I still yeah, feel like people yeah. show up for Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's big Ripley tits. So, <laughs> speaking of Ripley tits, Ray fights. 
But yes, now now <laughs> Milo has directed the menu in which a group of diners are taken to a remote island to enjoy the avant-garde culinary experiences of dining in Julian Slovak's exclusive restaurant. And that's mm. that's where he finds his character. Amongst the diners are pretentious foodie Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt, and his mysterious date, Margot, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Long, you know, God bless her. <laughs> All hail, Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. As the courses progress, it transpires that there's something much more deadly planned. <gasps> oh. Yes. So Ooh. it's a fun concept. It's poking fun at the Hawk Cuisine event dining experience phenomenon by introducing this camp idea that death and violence could become a part of the art and the ambience of enjoying this food. Mm. And, you know, the chefs are all very serious about this and actually, you know, believe it. And there's, you know, they're kind of like a weird cult and it's quite amusing in that way. Oh, interesting. The moment to moment of the film is then wrapped up in the tension of what next? And the screenplay and the direction serve that purpose very well. And it's quite a funny film as well. Beyond that, politically, there is something about the economic implications of food, the class divide implied by it, mm. the snobbery. You know, it has that Ostland, that Ruben Ostland feel to parts of it, albeit not quite as bold or exciting or hilarious. It drags in places, especially as the film goes on and people become even more so just ciphers for what they represent, you know, the food critic mm. and the, the tech bros, and they stop being kind of characters. But the performances are pretty solid, especially the top three. Um, and the story keeps you guessing. So yeah, there's not that the weird surprising thing about it is for an interesting movie, there's not a lot to say about it. Okay. It's, it does its job. Well, it's like a meal, you know, you'll go, you'll eat, (laughs) it'll be pleasant whilst you're doing it. It'll have some fun and then you'll move on and you'll need to know what to have for breakfast. So yeah. I'm going to give it four stars. It's good fun, but I I can't imagine it's going to have much in the way of longevity. I'd be surprised if like, Unless it manages to attach itself to something else with a similar premise, I can't see it, you know, getting screened in like cult cinemas down the line. It's sure. just, you okay. know, enjoy it in the moment. It's it's a good night mm. out right now. Nice. All right. Fine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Maybe if you're having a Mark yeah. Mylord triple bill with Ali G <laughs> into house and what's your number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Natural combination. Absolutely. <laughs> God. You can see why, though, someone might be enticed to. Going to a, mm-hmm. an island for an exotic dining experience. You can tell mm-hmm. this is a segue now, can't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Less explicable is why you would remain anywhere near the scenario of Barbarian. Ah. <gasps> so yes, a woman is in Detroit for a job interview and she arrives at her Airbnb to find that there's already a strange man there and they've seemingly been double booked. He assures her that, they sh- that she's not going to be able to get accommodation elsewhere, so she should just stay with him. And obviously she runs away like any human being actually would, but especially Good. a woman who has had to live in this world would. Uh, the end. <laughs> oh no, Paul. <laughs> so it's a very... Sh- she doesn't stay, does she? <laughs> it's a very short film, but one that carries an essential message about basic common sense. No, she actually does stay. Oh God, no. Why? Oh dear, no. Why would no, anyone do no, that? <laughs> no, no. That is, no. that is my one big sticking point of this movie, <laughs> is that you will be asking yourself quite a lot why are they doing that? Why aren't they running yeah. away? Particularly when it comes to main character Tess, played otherwise very well by Georgina Campbell. You know, it's just, mm. it's just, you know, no, in particular, no woman who's alive who reads the news and is aware oh, no. would put themselves in half the situation she puts herself in in this. And it's just, it's a little unbelievable. Yeah. 
but ah well suspension of disbelief Suspe- I guess. that's very bizarrely the next two words i had in my uh, yeah. <laughs> review suspending disbelief we're lining up oh yeah it's the, the the singularity is on its way finally sinking <laughs> could you find out the tagline to barbarian and put sarah in it for me please yeah thank you no where am i gonna put sarah in this <laughs> come for a night stay for sarah <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of her burlesque show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just a smoke-filled room with sort of cabaret-style yeah. tables and chairs and Sarah comes and tells you bawdy stories. Yeah. <laughs> Come for the night. Stay for Sarah. Stay for Sarah. Stay for Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Single jazz pianist. It's a very classy affair. Oh, yeah. The stories aren't. The stories are pure filth, but... she does. She does that thing where she, like, you know, like, old-school, like... Um, you know, tempt in you know, like a silky gown, yeah. sitting there smoking a cigarette through yeah. a long filter thing, where she like sing talks. Where she's like, <laughs> "I was walking along the street one day, jazz pianist ding, ding, going, yep. ding 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 ding, <laughs> and I saw this guy." <laughs> Just continue like that. <laughs> it's been in the West End for seventeen years. Everybody, 17. and it used to be like the filthiest show. Like you couldn't go there. Now everybody brings their mums, and it's quite cute. Yeah, yeah, it's quite sweet. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah, that's, it's a charm. It's you know, it's, it's a Christmas tradition. It's a Christmas now. tradition. You've got to go see. <laughs> Come for the night, stay for Sarah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How does that get abbreviated on the West End circuit? Um, what's even the point in opening? You know that all the Emmys are going to go to Night with Sarah, Stay for Sarah, Night with Sarah. Yeah, yeah, Stay for Sarah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, suspending disbelief. This is a very effective horror movie that keeps changing things up and moving around and introducing new perspectives in order to invigorate a fairly familiar story. But it's told as such style by dire- director Zach Kreger, who previously made quite a few movies I've never heard of in my life. So I think he's promising to be a bit of an Adam Wingard style player. Uh, so he better watch mm. out that he doesn't, you know, because style can't outpace content forever. So... Okay. It can't outpace lack of content forever, I should say. Mm. Uh, but beneath the surface, it's a fairly standard suburban folk horror thing about big city anxieties around the working classes. You know, don't go, okay. don't go out to the poor areas because there's, you know, inbred super mutants out there. There's a little bit of Texas Chainsaw, a little bit of The Hills of Eyes. It's definitely mm. a kind of 70s throwback experience. And it works best as an incredibly effective spook house ride. Which okay. isn't to say it doesn't have really great quiet moments or character moments or, you know, really inventive kind of script and directing moments. But, you know, it does. And they're great, but they are in the service of making the spook house work better. It's all for the spook house. Mm. It's all for the... Ugh! Okay. And, you know, have no doubt that this is a very artfully leading us along the dark corridor where something spooky is going to appear at the end of it. And the monster design is very good, although politically... Yes, there are issues because I was relieved by the ending because for a moment it looked as though it was going to redeem a sexually abusive character whilst thoroughly demonizing a victim of domestic abuse. But yeah. it decisively, it, 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 it avoids doing half of that. Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> okay. decisively avoids doing half of that and does something else that's a little less bad with the other. So a little less. It's still a little uncomfortable. You know, it leaves a, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. But you had fun, so it's a bit like an S. Craig Zala film in that respect. It's, but not as politically horrific. Jesus, yeah. Jesus. Um, it's just like a night with Sarah. Night for Sarah. <laughs> stay for Sarah. It's just like a night at Stay for Sarah. Leaves a little bit of a sour, t- <laughs> a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, but you're like, I think that joke is a bit outdated now, Sarah. 
But you had a fun time in general. You had a fun and time. Your, and your mum laughed at that joke. Oh, so. she loved it. And that was her favourite yeah. bit. And you, do, you don't have the heart. Yeah. You don't have the heart. You don't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you don't have the heart to tell her that she shouldn't be liking Sarah as much as she is. And that's, <laughs> that's fair enough. Ah, uh, yeah. I started the segue, but I didn't finish it. So I have to try and intuit what I meant by Go this. Go on. I, I, I said I gave uh, Barbarian four star. Which seems high, actually. You didn't say that, no. It's a bit high. Yeah. Yeah, it's three. Three. It's Fair. it's very effectively made. That's the thing, is the difference between like an intelligent movie and an intelligently made movie. This is a very refined, sharp object. You know, perfectly mm. designed to slip in through the ribs. But <laughs> it's not doing anything fancier than just trying to stab you. <sighs> I don't know. Nice. I, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me. yeah, there's a yeah. thing. There. Yeah. <laughs> you know how when you design At the end of the day it's made for stabbing people. <laughs> you, know when you design a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, look the simile worked for me Paul. it'll do it'll do yeah <laughs> give me my segue <laughs> how's that thing you were working on it just turned out into a knife again again god it's terrible i need something to sit on so <laughs> right i started you knife chair you've got to love a movie yeah. i put you've got to love a movie you don't know where i'm that. you don't know where i'm going um no, I don't. It's, very, it's not love far a movie. away. It's really close. Ah, uh, you gotta love a movie that involves death. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotta love a movie where the vi- oh, okay, the magic. yes, okay. There's there's the thriller. You got it. Um, okay. You've gotta love a movie where the victims where which correctly identifies the fact that victims of trauma are actually really creepy. Smile. <laughs> you oh. know about smile. Oh, smile! Yes. I do because you. Uh, I accidentally traumatized you uh, with the trailer. Paul Paul Salt told me a few <laughs> months ago. Oh, I watched this really fun trailer. <laughs> it's really it's got a really funny bit in it. I found it. Why funny. don't you watch it? I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you found it funny, <laughs> knowing full well I do not watch any horror because I'm yeah. an absolute wuss. Oh no! And I watched the trailer to Smile. And it was and it gave me a. Flipping big jump scare right at the end, <laughs> which <laughs> really gross to be jump honest scare. is the best scare in the movie, and they've put it in the trailer, yeah. which is a shame because yeah, they, they don't top that. I mean, obviously, it's great, <laughs> <laughs> but I cannot believe it was good. To be fair, it was very good, and I cannot it's believe cheesy. that we haven't recorded an episode of this show since I saw Smile because that was actual years ago. Wow, actual different life. So. <laughs> Is that correct? I've got the main character as being Saucy Bacon. Saucy? Saucy Bacon? It's Saucy, I think. Is it actually Saucy Bacon? Smile. Wait, the character's called Saucy Bacon. No, the the actor is called Saucy. Oh, the actor's called Saucy. Wait, where's she from? (laughs) Wait, what are you? America. Yeah. How do you work, America? Maybe she's got some in... Maybe, like... She's... Oh, well, she's Kevin Bacon's daughter. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Well, yeah, yeah. Saucy Bacon is playing uh, Jennifer Garner, I think. and um, But she's playing Jennifer Garner as she plays Dr. Cotter, a st- okay. stressed-out psychiatrist who suffers a tr- suffers the trauma of witnessing a distressed patient kill themselves. Um, but mm-hmm. more distressing than the act was how it was done, because after complaining about being stalked by something, uh, by something that she couldn't escape, she cut her own throat while staring at Dr. Cotter and smiling. And soon she starts to notice more more spooky stuff and people smiling at her and creepy things until her own actions become erratic and everyone starts to think she's crazy. Or is she? Saucy Bacon. (laughs) 
So it's a gaslighting narrative <laughs> where our hero has to try and convince people that she's not crazy whilst also investigating the creepy curse that she's, you know, been cursed with. So, you know, it's Ringu, it follows Sinister, it's a well-established kind of narrative. Um, but just like all the woke horror, it has to have <laughs> some kind of on-the-nose point. Um, because horror movies never had those before. Well, perhaps Smile does wear its subtext a little too much on its sleeve, because the the narrative is very obviously about trauma. You know, somebody mm. kills themselves in front of you and it improves your chances of killing yourself. There is a genuine thing that, you know, suicide yeah. has a kind of contagious aspect to it, where if someone in your life kills themselves, it does actually increase the risk of you committing suicide as well, because of the, how, the yeah. nature in which trauma works. And so... You didn't have to make it quite so obvious as this does, because that would have just tracked. But it's about trauma, and although the journey is interesting, where it ends up is quite bleak if you just look at it thematically. I mean, it's bleak any way you look <laughs> at it, but thematically is basically just grief will get the better of you eventually, and then be passed on to the ones okay. you love. Sorry. Oh, best thing to do? Don't get traumatized. Oh, okay. Well, I just won't do that then. Yeah, I was considering doing it next, you know, just... That's why Tuesday I never make eye contact with people, just in case they're in the process of offing themselves. <laughs> just in case. You never know. Jeez. You never know in London. Yeah. Uh, so the scare sequences are good. There's lots of tension with some inventive scares, but does get a little too reliant on the old string section for impact. You know, the old horror sort of... <laughs> ah, yeah. Kind of thing. And, <laughs> you know, it did blow its best gag in the trailer, I'm afraid. Still... The premise is scary, and it did have me looking over my shoulder a couple of times whilst writing this recollection of seeing it. So, <laughs> three stars. It's enjoyable, but I'd be surprised if it achieves any kind of longevity. It's more insidious than it follows. Do I want to bump that down to two, considering I gave Barbarian three? Because we are grading on a curve here. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it can share three with Barbarian. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Although, I will say Barbarian's better. Okay. <sighs> If only there were a more artful way of exploring a painful past after Sun. It is absolutely criminal that this is the last movie I'm talking about today because <laughs> one or two more rewatches might just see this nab one of the top spots for film of the year. It's, my God, is this a good movie. This is Charlotte Wells, and remember that name. Um, this is her okay. featured film debut, and I was mm. lucky enough to see her talk about the film, actually, and she explained that where this came from is that she found an old picture of herself on holiday with her dad and realizing that he would have been about her age at the point when the pic- when you know the picture was taken when she was looking at it mm. she was now about as old as her dad was when this picture was taken with her and she was just struck by how young he looked and so yeah that kind of sparked off a thing and it's a movie about realizing that your parents are human mm. it's the story of a father who goes on holiday alone with his daughter and it's within the framework of the little girl grown up looking back, you know, at this time. But most of the film is just this hazy, fluid memory of this holiday that she had with her father in a sunny country. I forget where. It, it's so wrapped up. It, they are so centered, really, within the story mm. that, you know, only occasionally does the actual place that they're in kind of impact on that. It's mainly about the relationship between them. And. Another thing that apparently struck Wells when looking through the photos is that there was a picture of her with a beautiful woman in the background, which made her wonder who the subject of the picture really was. You know, did her dad take Mm. a picture of her just so he could get the beautiful woman in the background (laughs) in the shot? And so within that, you have this complicated notion of considering your parent as a sexual entity. And it's this, again, point of like relating to them that you, 
you know, don't have when you're a kid. And in the movie, the father has just turned 30 and is already okay. beginning to feel old and is worrying about the kind of man he is able to be with the options he has left. Meanwhile, Sophie, the daughter, is just discovering things about herself. She's discovering her attraction to people, she's comparing her body to people around her, and she's beginning to yearn for an adult life and to be seen differently than just a kid. So mm. there is a rift forming in their experiences. Um, and you've got Frankie Corio as Sophie, and she's just effortlessly adorable in the most literal sense. She is easy <laughs> to adore. She's funny and sweet and entirely natural. Paul Mescal as the father is absolutely fascinating we only experience him for the most part through sophie's recollections of him so it's stolen glances and overheard conversations and you know times when he is not saying what he means and imagined moments that paint a picture of a man who used to be a bit of a hellraiser and now doesn't know what to be mm. now that he's getting old and in terms of filmmaking wells with cinematographer gregory oki and editor blair mcclendon achieve something richly evocative, dreamily seductive, and then finally just pushes into the sublime. Out there it is in the pantheon of the greats. It's Lynn Ramsey, Terence Davies, all the great poets of British cinema. And the way the memories move in and out of each other, and the masterly control of your experience of those memories as she just kind of moves you between these set pieces, just either from these really abstract kind of big moments, <laughs> um, big visual communication moments, or tiny little details within the scene, or to these kind of very richly observed character interaction moments. It does feel like you've remembered it. Mm. <sighs> yeah, it's it's indescribable, and I can't even get close to talking about how it actually felt watching it. It's startlingly well-observed, achingly morose, but it's not depressing. It's too full of, like, the beauty of the world. And although it is occasionally confronting, it's not the movie where there's going to be a melodramatic explosion. You know, it's going to mm. be something else. It's going to go another way, you know, that's not, that's entirely in and of itself. So, yeah, it's five stars. It's just sublime cinema, I think. It really blew me away. Wonderful. Yeah. That's very nice to hear, Paul. Yeah. This is one to watch, and I'm glad I saw it in the same season as uh, Black Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Averages out to a three, yeah? <laughs> so just slap a three on all just those Just put a three on all of them, the I think. That, that feels fair yeah. to me, that Black Adam should yeah. pull down After Sun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go see After Sun. So in... Everyone. Yeah. Everyone at home, go see it now. Okay. Yeah. Do it. That's the Great. that's the big one. I think I want people to go see as after sun, and then Wonderful. also the woman king. <laughs> okay, yeah. Great. Uh, you've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, uh, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name was Jen Blundell, and with me was my film critic Paul Salt. Say goodbye, Paul Salt. Was. Yeah, I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Our music was by Jacob Yay. Blundell, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can message us on any of the social medias at Screen Mayhem. Or you can find us at ScreenMayhem.com. Oh, you could. I think you should, actually. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah, go on. If you want to get in touch with us in a longer format, you can email us at FilmCriticPodcast at gmail.com. And apart from that, I think that wraps everything up. Sure does. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Goodbye. Keep watching the Sweet sky. Dreams. That's what I mean, cinema screens. <laughs> That's what I call them. <laughs>
say it, but this this may be the intro. <laughs> Bergesera. Bergesera might be the intro. It might be the best <laughs> thing we're going to say this week. Almost certainly. <laughs> it's the best thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> Nike, just Sarah. <laughs> just do Sarah. <laughs> just do Sarah from Nike. Just do Sarah from Nike. It's a strange oh, tactic God. they've taken this time. <laughs> Best used to catch Sarah with. Oh no! Why? Why is this corporation taking against Sarah such a way? <laughs> we'll never know. That's one of the mysteries of of Nike. Yeah. One of many. Uh, <laughs> Disneyland, the happiest place on Sarah. <laughs> the happiest Sarah on earth. The happiest Sarah on earth. Just come and see her. Old Spice, the original. If your Sarah hadn't worn it, you wouldn't exist. Is that genuinely Old Spice's slogan? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> If your daddy hadn't worn this, he wouldn't have been able to <laughs> nail your mommy. Gra- yeah, I'm going to buy some of this stuff. Yeah, I want to smell like it's actually grandfather. I would love to smell like my horny grandfather. Thank you, <laughs> Old Spice. I want to smell as good as my granddaddy did when he laid my grandmam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, son, that's a great thought to have expressed out loud. <laughs> there are some things... Boy of mine. Oh, where do I put Sarah in this? There are some Sarah's money can't buy for everything else's MasterCard. <laughs> Samsung do what Sarah can't? It's the only noun in there is you. You may have to stop this. Yeah, we're going to have to, but I'm enjoying putting Sarah, Sarah in all of these. Capital One, Look. what's in your Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> Staples, Sarah was easy. How often these just turn sex? Just turn to sex, huh? They just turn to sex. Who would have thought that just do it could be turned to sex so easily? Here's a fun one. Snap, crackle, Sarah. <laughs> oh, wait. Sarah, I crackle, pop. I love the idea of just those as characters. I'm Snap. I'm Crackle. I'm Sarah. Hey. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Hi, everyone. Buy, buy Rice Krispies. Yeah. Get me out of this place. KFC. Oh no, Sarah looking good. Sarah looking good. <laughs> this could also work for movie titles, um, taglines, of course. In space, no one can hear Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering which part of this so far four minute riff to use as the intro for the episode. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> These are so good. This is what happens, everyone, when I'm not in control of actually starting the podcast. Oh, God, yeah. Whoopsies. 